Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Awards Tour podcast. I'm Jacqueline Coley, and the Oscar nominations are officially out, and we have much to talk about. Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer led with 13 nominations, followed closely with 11 by Poor Things. And this morning, I have one of my award season favorite people to sort of cozy up to at the various tastemakers and events that we have to go to. He is the awards editor for TV and film over at IndieWire. Marcus Jones, sir, welcome to the Awards Tour podcast. Good morning. It's finally here. It is finally here. Nominations are out. First of all, I have to ask you, because we all live this very crazy life, where were you watching? Uh, What did you have to do? And what were your thoughts about yesterday morning? Um, I was at Sundance. I had lost my headphones. And so I had to sadly, like put my beats on, have my phone next to me. Uh, I had another coworker at the table and the sound was like off. I was a minute ahead and then Instagram live so bad that we ended up like in sync. She ended up ahead of me and we're all scrambling to type as quickly as can as we can and kind of clean that list up uh, after I had to erase and add all the surprises to the list. There were a few. Overall, though, um, I was in New York, uh, not to like brag, but I did three national global television hits in an hour. That was a lot. Uh, Champ. Going from NBC to Today to BBC, it was a lot. And I was like, I just landed the night before from Sundance. Little little windswept, we made it happen. That's That was so crazy. We spent six months for 10 minutes. That is the most, <laughs> that is the worst uh, sort of return on the investment of how much time we spend talking about these movies versus what we actually are able to do. But overall, I actually felt yesterday was a very good day of nominations. I think that it was in some ways very predictable and in other ways very not, which is what you hope for. For as much as folks uh, talk about how they get upset about snubs or surprises or anything like that, uh, boring nominations is really the worst thing in the world. Like in a completely predictable year is literally the worst thing. So I would say this was actually, I think, a good year as far as like we had things to bitch about, we had things to cheer about, and we had a lot of stuff in between. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just looking at Best Picture, I think that's a really strong category. Ten films that I feel great recommending to anyone. I know (laughs) we all have our certain feelings about uh, some of them, but uh, I think overall, like a lot of what's being celebrated is kind of a wide range and it's not just sort of the films that had the most money behind them, but especially when you get into some of the other categories like documentary or international, like there's really a good mix of what was made super accessible and what can be a discovery. And that's Mm. what you want. You want to celebrate a wide range of films and a wide range of performances. And I think this did a pretty good job this year. I mean, we had two films that pretty much made a billion dollars as well as like small little indies from, you know, foreign language features. I think that is sort of a wide berth. Let's go ahead and jump into it and start with the supporting actor category. This was actually one that I particularly was happy about in the sense that I have a personal connection in this uh, one that I was really rooting for. We, of course, have Sterling K. Brown, Mark Ruffalo, 
Robert De Niro, Ryan Gosling, and Robert Downey Jr. What are your thoughts on supporting actor? Any of those ones sort of like jump out to you? This was pretty much mostly expected. Yeah, I think what was wild was that for months and months and months, it was, okay, it's going to be these core four. One of them's a winner. Three of them have been also ran forever. Robert Robert Downey Jr. kind of being the front runner. Robert De Niro, Ryan Gosling, Mark Ruffalo. And a bunch of people kind of competing for the fifth spot. But as nominations came out, if you look at sort of the supporting actor nominations that Poor Things has gotten, it's been this wild roulette where Mark gets in and then Willem Dafoe gets in and then they both get in and then they maybe don't get in, which is what happened with Bathos. So I was like worried for a while because I really loved Mark Ruffalo in Poor Things. I yeah. thought it was a side of him I didn't get to see and he looked like he was having so much fun. Um, and so I was happy to see that uh, it finally landed to where he got in, which I think has happened before with him in the nominations that he's gotten and hasn't always been so certain. But um, to see that the fifth, so- fifth spot went to Sterling made me really happy. I mean, I was kind of on that Charles Melton train. Um, and I know so... you were. I know you were. <laughs> Traitor. <laughs> it can't be a war. No, I love them both. Um, no, it's and good. Charles Melton still has a couple more um, critics awards that he could collect. But it's amazing to see Sterling K. Brown after kind of just grand slam every role he gets. Someone who really has taste in sort of uh, the characters he plays to now finally get this nomination, especially kind of these years after um, the film he did Waves that I think was the first time people were saying, hey, he should really make it into the mix. Yeah, and I remember that when I was was very uh, hopeful for him on that campaign. That campaign did not pan out to be what we expected as far as Oscar nominations because he's the only first-time nominee in this category, I might also add. But... I think what's interesting about Sterling K. Brown, not to brag, but we had him on an earlier episode of the podcast, and he really talked about, you know, he he went into this role, I think, living a moment of, like, self-reflection. Anyone in American fiction, it was all-star cast of Black actors, they've all dealt with these sort of, like, the the sort of conceit of the movie is that you have to shift yourself to a white gaze to be considered popular in media, whether it be publishing or entertainment. And movies like American Fiction give them a chance to show dimensional characters. I mean, him playing a gay man who was living a lie for the better part of his life, who gets his entire life blown up, but in doing so gets to be his most authentic self. Um, I also think it it speaks to um, the dynamics of family as far as like the golden child versus the scapegoat or the one that, you know, the dad never liked and you never knew why. Well, now we know why. Let's get into some of these other nominees. I think we, we have to talk about the Ryan Gosling of it all just because of everything else that happened yesterday. The one thing I will say is if there was ever a nomination that instantly announced itself to be there and then therefore not be able to win, it was Ryan Gosling getting nominated this year for supporting actor. Any momentum that he had just got killed with not what he did, but with what everything that happened alongside that, which I do think is really unfair. Yeah, no, I mean... (laughs) The Barbie thing is quite bigger, but I am really happy that he got nominated um, and so did I'm Just Ken. So that definitely helps depending on how he plays it. Um, But yeah, I mean, should we talk about (laughs) we're going to get there? We're going to we're not going to get too far in the Barbie of it all. But like, look, I'll, I'll even go even different. I aspire. I don't aspire. I am the petty that is Ava Mendez after <laughs> say, she yes. like she comes out because when he got cast in this first of all he was too old there was the hashtag not my Ken there was this whole idea of like why is this guy in this movie and Greta herself like championed for him to be in this so it was really crazy that a minute that he was announced and people looked at that picture they were like no and then we see the movie and the one thing I will say about Barbie and I could say a lot he is perfect for that role there is nobody else I think that I could see in that role play it so sincerely so earnestly both in the buffoonery but also in the like you know your heart breaks for Ken sort of role and so when she's yesterday being like I remember what all y'all said about my man and he is my man 
And like, it was just like, my man, my man, my man, my man. <laughs> it was insane to see her just be like, I would not listen to any of y'all because that thing that y'all tried to diss on, he is now Oscar nominated for. And I do not aspire to that level of petty. That is my level of petty. And I want my man to have that same level of petty. Like, avenge me. Exactly. <laughs> just all the headlines posted on the, <laughs> the Jumbotron. She posted that on Instagram with and she has held on to those receipts for a year. <laughs> over a year. Over a year. She's like, no, I remember every single one of y'all. And put the byline. Like didn't even yeah. like spare oh. the reporter. She's like, I know exactly what your name is. I know. I poor that reporter. I'm friendly with him but uh um, yeah, yeah they, she was she was getting detailed she was like you wanted to say this you wanted to say that like uh, but no absolutely i'm so happy to see him nominated because it really is a committed performance uh we rarely see comedic performances uh nominated and i yeah. think that you could two tell comedic three comedic performances exactly in uh you could tell that he entered barbie kind of with ideas and like yeah. it felt like he was someone who kind of helped the film grow into what it was and sort of yeah. had a solid thing like this is ken he is yeah. just ken he is kenuff he is kenuff exactly um i want to bring it up to the supporting actresses now because again i think this was mostly predictable except for what i would like to say the america of it all I will stand by this until the day that I die. The minute America gave that speech on the Critics' Choice Awards and how well that went and how viral that went, that's what sealed her nomination this time. And I'm so excited about about it because it's justice for when real women have curves, which is what she should have been nominated for. Like, I'll, I'll never remember. That was when I first started watching The Independent Spirits because it was like the girl from Maria Full of Grace mm-hmm. and America Ferrera were like two like wannabe best actress uh, nominees or winners those years. And I just remember being like, how can you say that this is the best of cinema when these are not making it? So I'm very happy for America. Same. I think that People tend to forget she really has this kind of indie cred. It happens to be the 40th year of Sundance. And so Real Women Have Curves has been kind of incorporated into how they've been portraying Sundance over the years. And I think she has worked incredibly hard. She has kind of reached peaks that uh, a lot of her peers haven't. She's still the only Latina to ever win a lead actress in a comedy Emmy. Um, Mm. And I think that the way she's kind of talked about being in Barbie and getting this opportunity that she didn't expect um, and sort of now finding herself on a new stage and especially as a representing as a Latina, like I, I can't kind of be mad at it. And also like it is, she does have the scene mm-hmm. that um, everyone started talking about when they left the theater and is probably going to be her clip uh, <laughs> when Her name is announced at the Oscars. And so, I mean, there are plenty of uh, actresses that really gave gave incredible performances that didn't make it in. Even um, it was I had hope for Penelope Cruz for a second when she got that uh, SAG nomination for Ferrari because she's Mm -hmm. definitely the best part of that movie. Um, But yeah, I'm ultimately not mad at uh, this category. I mean, controversially, I think this is just nominating Emily Blunt for years of good work because oh, if she, she were has to win, a scene, she's not going to win. But if, if she has a scene, don't don't get me to take, defend. Take those sheets, in. take those sheets in, girl. That is. Oh, <laughs> listen, okay, let me get on my Emily Blunt soapbox. If you do not watch that scene when they are cross examining her, when she's like sixteen. 17. she throws a glass at Robert Downey Jr. and gives better. <laughs> Than like camp realness. I'm sorry. Kitty is an icon and I don't disagree that this is not her best work. I'm still like sad that she didn't get nominated for Mary Poppins. But that is another conversation for another day. But I do think Kitty definitely gave it in this one. And let me be real. I'm much happier seeing her in here than Julianne Moore rewarded for a body of work. No offense. And also, look, kudos to her. She survived uh Christopher Nolan film as a wife, like, 
that's got to count for something. Um, she jiggled that glass the, to the best of her ability. No, I'm happy. I'm look. I saw it Devil. Sounds Wars like Prada. you're a little shady. What do you mean you're happy? <laughs> sounds like I, you're kind of shady. You mentioned Mary Poppins. I thought she deserved an Oscar nomination for Devil Wears Prada. Like she's done a lot of really um, great performances, and so I'm not gonna complain that her performance in kind of one of the biggest movies of the year gets dominated. Like that's great. I'm really happy for her. I really am, I swear. <laughs> no, I get it. No, I'm uh, look, I I for one am, am not just happy for her, but I do think that that is an Oscar performance. But also let's just look at the representation here that I think mm. is very interesting with this. We have Danielle Brooks, America Ferrera, Divine Joy Randolph. The majority of the women nominated in this category are women of color. We have three first time nominees. And then we have like with the Daniel Brooks and J Divine Joy Randolph at all, the fact that like as far as this moment right now, Divine is the front runner. And I would say the closest person even after that would maybe be Danielle. I'm not right. saying that Danielle is in any way close, but if there was anybody who I would say that's going to get a next line share of the votes, I would say it would be Danielle over America, over Jodie Foster and over Emily Blunt. No, absolutely. I think that's such a uh, rare. I mean, we've seen... Uh, more than one black woman in this category before. Um, but to see both of them sort of take charge and the instant people saw each of their films, the holdovers, the color purple, it was a moment of like, well, that's the one. They got mm. it. This is who I've fallen in love with uh, watching this film. Um, and they both have incredible stories and uh, incredible acting pedigree. Uh Divine went to Yale, Danielle went to Juilliard. And so they're really giving it to you. Like, they I'm really are. About it. Yeah. And from a representation aspect as well, like, it is notable that Jodie Foster is an out actress playing an out role. That's what um, I was just about to say. Yeah. Niad. And so I think that is something that we really see as well. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Also, too, um, not to say that Hollywood is ageist, but we can. I love that Jodie Foster in her now 60s, though she don't look it, uh, is able to not only lead a, a, um, a television show on HBO that is just dialing it up every week. And I think people are going to be so happy with what Issa, Jodie and uh, Callie are doing on True Detective, but also in this role, which, again, I don't know how many Nyad stands there are out there. They're definitely not on Twitter. But the campaigning that Jody and when we get to actress talk about Annette doing, they did old school salon campaigning, which for folks that don't know, that means where you invite your friends over to the house, they go hang out with Warren Beatty, or they go to the French uh, places where Jody is. And I would say that Jody. Jody's sort of like international appeal because she lives in Europe full time, uh, as long with Annette, sort of like that old Hollywood pedigree. That kind of campaigning still gets nominations. It doesn't always win them, but it still garners nominations. And so I think people miss out on that like old school campaigning sometimes because it's not as flashy as, say, going on Graham Norton or going on The Today Show or going on Jimmy Kimmel. Right. Exactly. Let's go ahead and move on to another category where there was a little bit of controversy, though not as much as most of the time, and that is screenplay. We're going to go ahead and combine these two. I'll go ahead and say on Adapted. I think people were worried about Barbie moving over to the Adapted screenplay category. I was not. How did you feel about that decision? Well, on one level, this uh, not only is it uh, using the Barbie brand, but like there are in jokes within the film about how this was a discontinued doll. 
here is a piece of clothing that uh, was popular with Barbie doll purchasers. or um, And so there's that. And so you can see why it is adapted. But then to see sort of the WGA embrace it as original and sort of other awards bodies, I'm a little like, okay, well, look, if it's getting in there, it's fine. I wasn't particular either way. I think that just in general, like I wanted it to get a screenplay nomination, whether it was an adapted or original. But I can kind of see both sides. I'm not super firmly on like, oh, like it can't be original because it's Barbie brand, because I do think that the majority of the film is original and from the minds of Greta and Noah. Uh, Because we've even seen scripted Barbie stuff, the little uh, like (laughs) VHSs you could by. Yeah. And I don't think Greta was watching those. No, but the one thing I will say, and, and again, this tells my first age, but I used to collect the holiday Barbies and I used to collect collector Barbies and Barbies in general have stories on the back of the boxes. And that is the part that I did not like because and it wasn't really what I felt what they did with Barbie herself, Ken herself, uh, that really made it feel like it was adapted but all the side characters that they use, especially Alan and especially mm. Midge and especially um, some of the other like discontinued Barbies they didn't Growing do like up with Skipper. The, yes, <laughs> all of that stuff. That is where, in my opinion, they kind of lost the originality because they get to play on the fact that we know what this actually is. And it's not colloquial like we know that Mary Kay Letourneau and and Billy were there. It's like, no, somebody wrote who Alan was. They picked his name. They picked what his traits were. And if you then use the same traits to then use that in a story, it is adapted. And I think as things that are less um, things that are less cut and dry as to whether or not they're adapted come out. I mean, now they're adapting movies off of articles or tweets, um, something like Zola. Like that line is going to even get more and more blurred. Right. As to whether or not this is something that should be adapted or something that should be um, original. And I think as far as the WGA is concerned, their thought is it lives in the mind of the writers. Why wouldn't they think differently? Because it's a writer's guild, right? Right. And there's far less campaigning. I think Barbie's problem is there's a lot of original screenplay folks that are heavily invested in bitching to the Academy that Barbie should not be original. And that's really what it is. The Academy is a very reactive organization, as, as we will talk about later, um, because there was something about yesterday that told me that it was probably going to be a weird day. Uh, and I think that somebody probably called them and said, this should not be original. <laughs> Holdovers is original. I'm yeah. Sure. And it's also um, this is a chance for both Greta and Noah to receive their first Oscar. Yes. And so even though one could argue adapted might be a more competitive category, there's certainly bigger names um, in the adapted screenplay category alongside them. Um, I still think that like they have a decent shot at it. Um, I do think they do too. Yeah. And in fact, I think everything that happened uh works in their favor if people calm down now because oh, fingers if, crossed. Oh if my they gosh. do not keep coming for the academy voting body basically calling them old white out of touch and hating women for not nominating a uh, Greta and director and Margot and best actress yeah the backlash will be real because the one thing I will say is although I don't think I know exactly what Oscar voters are thinking all the time clearly based on some of the predictions I made about this Uh, The one thing I do know is this idea that they don't like being told what to do. Right. They don't like being told that you're wrong, you're out of touch, when it's really, it's a voting body of taste. And I think part of that was the marketing of the Academy Awards for so long, telling us this is the best of cinema. What we decide is the best of cinema. And I'm like, well, you, you... Mm, no, it's the best of cinema. And if you have a $20 million for a campaign, like... right. Like, that's what it usually is. Although this is proving that to be different. My biggest surprise um, was Killers being left off, but not Zone of Interest getting put in. Obviously, that was a movie that had a lot of support. Mm -hmm. A lot of people liked that. The craziest thing about Killers getting left off, in my opinion, is I think that was the writer's branch saying, 
Not that this was a bad adaptation, but it was a misguided adaptation. And that was coming <laughs> directly from both Martin Scorsese and uh, Eric uh, Roths Roth. basically saying like, hey, we changed the story to fit Leo's wants. And the Academy basically was like, yeah, we didn't like him and we didn't like this decision. So F both of you. Oh, no. I mean, but that's but what yeah. happened. Yeah. That's what happened. Like, those were two nominations that I think everyone thought that they had. This was going to be 12 for Killers or at least 11 because I don't think a lot of people had the song picked. But the idea that they rejected both Leo's performance, which he begged to have. Right. And they rejected this new framing of the screenplay that they made because of that choice. I think it's a very clear message that both those branches sent. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. I uh, liked the film kind of the way it was, but I have heard from pretty much everyone who's read the book that they felt it lost something in kind of reframing it, whereas like the book is more a murder mystery and you don't know mm-hmm. who exactly uh, Robert De Niro character really is from the start like the film is like hey so this guy's bad and these guys are bad and yeah let's watch them be bad for three hours and so that that was the part of it that like i really felt upset about and you can see elements of that still in the screenplay when they go to the montage where they're killing everyone imagine if you saw that, but you didn't know what was happening. Like, if right. you didn't know who was doing the murdering, but you still had that montage in there. So I I do mourn the script that we lost, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not going to be saying that the movie that we got was anything short of spectacular. But I, the, the rejection of Leo and his choices, remember, this was very much his choice, and it's so interesting to me how quickly they were. They, they said, like, Leo wanted this change. We did this change for Leo. He said he didn't understand this, that, and the other. And that choice was so, um, it was a body blow to those <laughs> those two. I mean, look. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that. They said that. Like, I'm not saying that. They said that. Although yeah. maybe I am saying it. <laughs> but I think as far as the rest goes, like, shout out to Court Jefferson. I think he yeah. actually has a really good chance. Um, what he did with Percival Everett's uh, Erasure um and sort of what he included what he left off or tweaked i think was kind of um an example of like really creative adaptation Mm -hmm. um and i think we're maybe less familiar with the book that poor things is based off of the tony mcnamara like just in that it was a book but when you see the film you know tony mcnamara wrote it i think that really speaks to his level of craft um and Again, Nolan, like, were we surprised? I'm not surprised about Nolan, but the one thing I will say is I think people, because he is such a visual artist, discount the insanity that is Christopher Nolan's scripts in the sense of how inventive they are Mm. and how thought after they are and how, like, interesting they are. And the thing I will tell people is just read the first five pages of Oppenheimer. There is so much that happens between Strauss and the Senate aide, who doesn't have a name, I might add, um, that their dynamic is so great. Like that is like if I was Alden Ehrenreich and I heard that I was getting that role, I would have creamed myself because that character actually knows so much more than Strauss through the entire like thing. There's a moment in the screenplay where he says, checks watch. And like, I'm telling you, man, from that moment until the final credits roll, that dude has his number. Like, he has his number, and it's Absolutely. so incredible yeah. to see it. That was um, one of my highlights when I saw the film. I'm like, Alden's playing sassy. Like, he got him. <laughs> oh, let's also go ahead and say, Zach Galifianakis, I will not try to disparage you on knowing about comedy, but to say that Christopher Nolan's script did not have comedy, I'm like, the bars. This was basically <laughs> like drag queens at war, but make it science. Like, there yeah. were so many, like, mm, not just a lowly salesman, just a salesman. Bitch, that is a bar. <laughs> like, it's a British bar, but it's a bar. Like, that's like, I have you. Exactly. So I was I was very disappointed. Moving on to over to original. Past Lives, May, December, Anatomy of a Fall, Maestro, Holdovers. I personally think this is a pretty great lineup. I think some people might, you know have words to say about Maestro, but I also think that was a very original way of looking at Leonard Bernstein's life. And for that, I do think it's interesting. It's a very watchable film. 
considering the, the most interesting thing about Leonard Bernstein was his accomplishments. But and he definitely had what I would say some like skeleton, not even skeleton skeletons at the time. He had things that, you know, there was aspects to his um, life that were a little nefarious and interesting and whatever. But he lived a very standard life of a, you know, public figure composer. Yeah, he philandered. Who didn't in that time frame? Like none of these (laughs) none of these dudes were faithful. Um, Yeah, he was brilliant and mercurial, but uh, so are all of them. So I think them finding a very interesting way to frame the romance was was like a, a, a neat approach to do it. Yeah. And these are kind of the veterans of the category. Everyone else are first time nominees. Um, And so I guess that's maybe like my one bummer is like if you get an Alex Convery for air in there or someone like that, then it would be amazing to see an original screenplay. The Academy honored five new people. Well, five new uh, nominees. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, then on the on the adapted side, we had previous nominees all the way through except right. for Cord. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like the opposite. On Adapted, you had one newbie and five vets. This one, you have one vet, two vets, and, you know, the rest are newbies. Yeah. And look, I think that this is going to be a hard choice because Past Lives was something, it, when it was uh, Barbie Sillin there, there was a lot of conversation about, like, Will it be past lives? Will it be Barbie? I think that has now changed because you look at the strength of the holdovers or Mm. the strength of Anatomy of a Fall, as we've seen throughout award season. I think they're all deserving. I think they're all pretty creative. And even when it's something like holdovers kind of playing with our idea Mm. of like 70s films or Anatomy of a Fall sort of twist on the courtroom drama, even May, December, it's like, inspired by a story we know and the way in which it plays with that and sort of nods to our knowledge of that kind of scandal and doesn't. I think, yeah, them being an original is apt. I think they did a really good job. I always say this first place votes win. And when you get down to the votes like this, what do you love? I think people really dig Anatomy of a Fall. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they love it the way that they love past lives and right. they love the holdovers. I also think, though, that the people that vote for past lives would also vote for Anatomy of Fall and vice versa. But the people that vote for the holdovers, they're just there. They are holdovers <laughs> people. And so that's why, I mean, I don't want to, this is not the predictions episode. We'll get you back for that one. But this one is more of like, which fandom is going to be stronger and not diluted by like secondary choices? I, I do feel it's like the holdovers people, they are, they are deep, they are loud, and they are going to vote. The only thing I might say is there might be certain things to say about both Justine and, and Celine. Mm-hmm. But again, that's why I think those two votes split. And I think that that kind of sucks for those ladies. But I'm glad to see both of them there. Yeah, though, I mean, to that point, like these there are people behind this campaigning. And so I do feel that um, Celine and Justine may have done a better job of uh, being more public, especially thinking that they directed the film as well. And so we often see directors who did something creative, but maybe wasn't as big as what one best picture get that screenplay Oscar. Let's talk about it here. Who's losing to Christopher Nolan? Sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that because no. there's a lot of things I would brook as far as uh, debate at this point in the conversation. This is not one of them. I did not love Oppenheimer as much as everyone did. I liked it. Like I, you, it's undeniably a good film. Um, but in watching it, I was like, oh no, hand it over to him. This is finally the one you can tell. Uh, just, I mean. The Trinity test is incredible. It's it's going it's a sequence of filmmaking that we're going to continually think about. And that was his vision. And so I do think, as you said, it's kind of his to lose. But I do think um, the people who uh, may have been a surprise are mm. um, acknowledgments of what the director's branch is thinking about but also kind of how the Academy is changing. I mean, look at this. Going down the list between Jonathan Glazer, Yorgos, Christopher Nolan, Martin Scorsese, and Justine Trier, went to Cannes, went to Venice. Didn't do any of the festivals, but Mm -hmm. that's the anomaly. 
went to Cannes, went to Cannes. Like these are, you know, films that not only had their moment, but they had their moment in the biggest festivals of Europe when they had their moment. And I also think too, the director's branch looked at the work of all of them. And with the exception of Yorgos, they also wrote on it and produced it, you know? And so like, these are really, I think, uh, people looking at the total cinematic story coming from a singular vision and wanting to reward that. Uh, they obviously could have done the same thing with Barbie, but they, they chose not to. And like, look, I don't know how you can say that Barbie did more than any of these ones. And actually, I think it's funny too. A lot of people thought very sexist, I think, assumption that Justine Trier was the person who would probably be fifth in the voting and therefore Greta would maybe be sixth, so on and so forth. I actually think it was your ghost. <laughs> I don't think that it was her at all. I think Jonathan Glazer had tons of verse per- votes right after Nolan, maybe. Yeah. Um, and uh, Martin Scorsese might have been even the fifth slot. More right. so than 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 any of these other ones, because just based on on the strength of that one. Uh, also, so frustrating to hear them trying to pretend like this was back when Natalie Portman is going to the Golden Globes talking about let's give it up for these five men. This is not that Academy anymore. It's right. not that branch anymore. That's right. why Justine is there. Yeah. And I'm someone who absolutely would have loved to see Greta nominated. I do think that. Barbie is a unique accomplishment, Uh, the sense of scale, the fact that it had to be, (laughs) it was almost too big to fail and still ended up being uh, good and musical and sort of its own world. Like, I really enjoyed that. But like to imply, yeah, I think a lot of the black backlash has uh, kind of erased Justine and her accomplishments, which I mean, it won the Palme d'Or. It's everyone who sees it is like, dang, they really do it like that in French. Yeah, <laughs> it's in it's an entertaining film. It's got people talking like she deserves her flowers as well. Um, yeah. And so it's not fair to like that's kind of just it is what it is. That's the way the Cookie crumbles. Like, it's a very tough year. And there's plenty of directors that have also been shut out on tough years, like Bradley Cooper with A Star is Born. Like Nolan, um, I believe he didn't get a director nom with uh, The Dark Knight. Uh, You know, there's just, there's been tons of examples of this in recent years. I think uh, a couple of years ago, who else got left off? Oh, I'm Ryan Coogler, yeah. Ryan Coogler for Black Panther. So um, yeah. There's been there's been so many instances where they've made these very incredible director visions uh, that have made landmark moments in Hollywood, but then they don't get nominated for best director. And so Greta joins huge company, but at least she has the best director nomination. And I think you could make the argument that both Core Jefferson and Celine Song should really be feeling kind of crappy that they didn't get one this year. And they're not saying it's because of sexism or racism. They're just saying it's because this is a year with so many great directors. Yeah, I think that um, had the backlash been, wow, there really can only be one, then that would be something to point out. I do think that it's unfortunate that oftentimes it's like, Okay, we're only going to put in one woman. Who is it going to be? That is like a major issue. But the idea that this is outrageous because that woman wasn't Greta is it's kind of perpetuating the same issue. It's implying that like Greta had Greta was the one woman. Greta should be the one woman. How dare this other woman take her spot? That's yeah, not because the they case. wouldn't they would not be indignant about Justine Trier. They yeah. would not be indignant about her. It's because y'all saw three movies this year and this was one of them. And the fact that the one that you assumed would get in there didn't. It's just and it just reeks to the type of white feminism criticism that plagued the movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we have to center this one. Let's do quickly actor and act. Uh, let's do quickly actor. We have, again, not a huge amount of surprises here, other than, again, Leo getting left off, not surprising after SAG. I think folks need to pay attention, with the exception of a couple of minor aberrations. The SAG nominations were exactly the same as the uh, Oscar nominations. There were just a couple of little switches on that one. And uh, in this case, it was Coleman Domingo, Jeffrey Wright, Killian Murphy, Paul Giamatti, and... uh, Bradley Cooper. So pretty much keeping in in lockstep with what we have there. 
Paul and Killian. It's I think it's theirs to fight. And for a long time, they thought it was going to be Bradley and Killian. Yeah, but I think Bradley sort of his issue is he tends to want to present himself director first with his yep. two films and like, sure, like go for that director nomination. Like, I'm not going to uh, sweat it, but it does come at a cost of uh, getting a acting Oscar. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you, you got to watch Paul Giamatti. Uh, you got to watch it, Paul Giamatti. It's been it's how many real. years since his last Sideways? Oscar nomination? Yeah, yeah, and, 2004, 20 years since his last Oscar nomination. And yeah, and that I'm, in and out did, did him <laughs> wonders. It did him wonders. Absolutely. And I'm sure there are Academy voters who watched like all, what is it, 12 seasons or something of billions. And so, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah that's another thing. I, I said this um, when you look at these categories with a lot of these folks, they have television or other things that made them a global face, whether it be Killian with Peaky Blinders, Paul Giamatti with Billions, Sterling K. Brown with This Is Us, Danielle Brooks with um, Orange is the New Black. You know, they had things that sort of like announced themselves to the global majority, which makes Divine Joy Randolph's frontrunner status really a testament to how much they love that movie. Right. But it, it is all it is all right there. Now down to the one that got everybody's heads in the tizzy. Of course, Best Actress. Annette Benning, Lily Gladstone, no Margot Robbie, but we do have Emma Stone. We do have Sandra Hewler and uh, Carrie Mulligan. I think there's a lot of things that you could say about this, but we already talked about this with Bradley. I personally feel with Margot Robbie in every interview, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, she was girl bossing about her producer status and everything that she had to fight for, as she should, because those things really did happen. Go look at her Actors on Actors interview. Go look at all of her roundtables. She talks so much about being a producer. Right. They rewarded her for being a producer. Right. I, I, I truly think if you go back and look at how she talked about this movie, how she talked about her work in it, she talked so much about how she felt that her job as a producer and what she did as a producer, whether it be picking Greta, whether it be um, fighting the good fight on certain scenes, all of that. She just bragged and bragged and bragged about that. How can you then be surprised when that is what they want to reward you for? And again, Annette Bening just sat in those salons with Warren Beatty. <laughs> and it is something that people called from the beginning because the joke of um, some of the viewers of Barbie was I went into this and left a Ken fan what happened yes but I think as much as I I do like her performance more than a couple of the ones nominated but um exactly like the kind of appeal of the performance is that it doesn't work without her but like it's uh kind of the straight woman um yeah and so it's understandable why people may not have flocked to it because it was like, I mean, even playing stereotypical Barbie, it is a little bit of like, here I am just like, I'm here to work. I'm here to help other people out. Like it's not yeah. necessarily a showcase, like a showcase for herself as much as teeing up sort of all the wonderful people that she's working with, which I think as great producer, producerial work as well. Yeah. Great producerial work. And look, the thing that really frustrates me is like Greta wrote a screenplay where the dude has the best jokes and the and the broadest role. He she wrote a screenplay while where the biggest speech of the movie that literally lives as the heart of the movie, something that they've been talking about the whole time, lives in America Ferrera. We can't be surprised that then people take that and extrapolate that to what they love best. Yeah. Um I, this is one of those things where I'm like, look, look at uh, Karina Balf and Jamie Dornan for Belfast. Did I think they were going to get left off and Judy Dench and Killian Hines were going to get left in? No, you don't know how this is necessarily going to go. But I don't think you can be surprised when so much of the movie begs you to do this. Um, did I expect it? No, but it is it is not it is not something that I can say is completely unfathomable. Right. Um. I would say that if I was going to put some other names in there, I would have put in Greta Lee or I would have put in Tiana Taylor. Absolutely. But that is just me. And I'm like, look, Greta Lee, 
It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, obviously a film that a lot of folks liked, and she didn't get added into there. And she's, again, the movie. The movie doesn't work without her, and she also got snubbed. So I think Greta Lee has just as much as to complain about uh, with Probably Margot more. Robbie. More. Greta, more. Be- Greta and Margot are Oscar-nominated this year. They have yes. Oscar nominations this year. They, it's and just more not in the categories that. people wanted. Like, yeah, which- and also... Really quickly, and I've had others. Yeah. I mean, what we got: Wolf of Wall Street, Bombshell, and now this. Like Margot Robbie is a three-time best, uh, sorry, three-time Academy Award nominee, and she knew going into this, this was not her year to win that. Right. So, uh, Barbie has a very good chance to win both Best Picture and Adapted Screenplay. But if you guys keep telling every single person that voted for it in the eight nominations that it did get that they were bigoted, and and I will say. Certain people commenting on this are not doing the film any favors. Right. Hillary Clinton. Girl. <laughs> Hillary Barbie. <laughs> girl. Just. Did you see mm. the, um, someone used the Gossip Girl mean where it, yes, like, it gets yes. worse? <laughs> it gets <laughs> worse. I get Um No. But I, look. To yeah, lose go ahead. the support for America in it, especially when it was, um, big that she got a nomination is really frustrating and to me as a fan of Barbie I would have liked to see Greta nominated in best director I would have liked to see Margot nominated in best actress but to say that them not getting a nomination is like a slight on feminism when they are Oscar nominated multiple times this year is yeah it's missing absolutely ridiculous Oh, also, let's be real. It was a banner year for women. Now that we move on to Best Picture before we get out of here. Now, there's often women co-producers in a lot of these roles, but there's always a producer. And like Past Lives, that's Christina Varshawn. She is the lead producer on that one. I don't care what anyone says. David Hinojosa and the rest of them, I'm sure, are very involved. I'm not trying to diminish what they are. But this is a woman who has long been a champion of independent cinema. She, I think, met Celine right out of uh, grad school. Then we also have uh, Emma Thomas, who, yes, is married to Christopher Nolan, but she's produced some of the biggest budget films that we've ever seen and and like had to be sort of like the guiding force on everything that he is doing. Uh, we also have Margot Robbie and Lucky Chap, who have already, between Saltburn, I, Tonya, Barbie, Birds of Prey, uh, what was the other one that she... They um, did Promising rec- Young Woman, too. And Promising Young Woman, thank you. This woman has already made a name for herself as a very insightful, and I'm going to bring this up, Emma Stone was also a producer on Poor Things. And she, along with Frances McDormand, showed you how you do that. And then that is the reason why I think Margot didn't get nominated. It was the way she chose to campaign because both Frances and Emma decided to make the acting what they were doing. Now, of course, they were producers and doing all the producer things. I do not think Frances McDormand or Emma Stone are being producers in name only. And I think based on the fact that Emma's also producing things like The Curse and she's already sort of like continuing this role of being a producer, even though Yorgo sort of said to her, I think you should do this. And now she's like, oh, I've gotten this bug. But of course she's talking about costuming. Of course she's talking about who we're going to hire for this and that. But she doesn't talk about it when she's campaigning. She campaigned to be an actress because she knows if we get the director nominated and we get the actors nominated, we get the editors nominated and we get the screenplay nominated, guess what? I'll get nominated here. That is the way that you actually do it. And that was the same thing that Frances McDormand did when she did it for Nomadland. That's why Frances McDormand has those two Oscars sitting at home. I, I will yeah. forever say, if you are the actor and everybody is taking pictures of you on the red carpet and they want to know what dresses you are wearing, yes, we know you did 80 other jobs on set, Bradley Cooper, whoever else, Make sure they don't forget you were an actor because they will forget the rest, but they they will not forget that. And so if you don't make that what you want, they will make you forget it. You know what I mean? Like they will they will give you what they think you deserve. Yeah. Though to Margot's credit, I will say the difference is that she was the executive producer in face of the highest grossing film of the year, a women led film a film that miraculously got good reviews, even though the second people heard there's going to be a Barbie movie, a lot of them met it with groans. And so, like, I don't blame her, but you're absolutely right. 
that focusing on producing came at the cost of people uh, not recognizing uh, her performance, which, again, it would not work. I don't think it would work with anyone else. I think it would not. Yeah. Uh, I will say this, too. I'm not trying to say that she did this wrong because she's going to get that great Oscar nomination. And Barbie still could win. Again, there's also certain to some to be said that this backlash makes everyone rally around it. I don't know what that ends up being. But the thing I will say is that you've got to talk more. She just needed to talk more about the performance and where she had to go, because there are really, I think, difficult things where she has to, like, act like. A different, a childlike figure, and really sort of like unlearn a lot of the things that she probably had to experience as a beautiful woman living yeah. in that body for however many years. So there's a real actress performance in that that kind of got lost talking about all the fights that she had to have about hey we need to keep this scene and hey we needed to do that. All of those are very important, and I'm glad that she got them. But again, I just feel like a different campaign she would have had everything she wanted. Yeah. And the thing I wanted to mention, too, that's kind of interesting about this year is that we've already said these are 10 great movies. There's something to love about all of them. Normally, we often see front runners for Best Picture that have a sort of optimistic lean like you're not leaving a lot of the recent best picture winners in despair i mean look at everything everywhere all at once that yeah gave people real positive feeling but oppenheimer um (laughs) not the case i think you really respect the filmmaking and are wowed but i don't think the last note of the film is like people riding off into the sunset but I would say, like, it does really look like it's the best picture front runner. I will say Holdovers, which is really competitive, is... Uh, I think it's a Dark Horse yeah, favorite. I, and, and I would say that watch out for the Holdovers. Yeah. Watch out for Barbie. Both of those, uh, I think, could could give it a run for its money. We got to get out of here. Um, really quickly, though, I want you to tell me uh, your favorite nomination from yesterday and where folks can find you. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, My favorite nomination from yesterday. You know what? We didn't mention him yet. And I think he's done such great work. And so I'll just say this. uh, I love Coleman Domingo. I think he's an absolutely talented actor. And so to see him recognized and also for it to be kind of a historic moment where it's been over 20 years since an out actor had been nominated for playing an out role to sort of this film about Bayard Rustin, which is a figure of the civil rights movement that people didn't often know about. Like, I am so happy to see that uh, we get an award season moment like this. Um, And also to see another red carpet, him do another red carpet, because he's Oh yeah, I can't wait to see what he's gonna look like, because he's been killing it, killing it, killing it. Yeah, but, um, oh, well, and find me on anywire.com, Marcus Jones, very easy to spell, on. Twitter. I'm refusing to say the other name. It's Marcus underscore Jones. Um, All right. Well, thanks for being here, Marcus. I really appreciate it. My favorite nomination was Sterling K. Brown. I just love the fact that we can call him an Oscar, Emmy, SAG, and now Academy Award nominee. A few winners in there as well. Like, yeah, we're always doing his You thing. can't see it, but we're holding up our fists. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly, exactly. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us today, and we will see you all next time on the Awards Store Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Awards Store Podcast. The Awards Store Podcast is hosted by Jacqueline Coley and is a production of Rotten Tomatoes. Executive producer, Fran Salamita. Legal services provided by Brian Arsham. Graphics by Des Anano. Social media support by Anthony Alessia and Emily Catlett. Producer, Brian Perez. Edited by Brian Perez and written by Jacqueline Coley. 